This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Hello. Welcome to World Shared Practice Forum. I'm John Arnold. I'm a professor of anesthesia and pediatrics at the Harvard Medical School, and I also serve as the director of the Department of Respiratory Care at Boston Children's Hospital. Today, I'm really thrilled to introduce our invited speaker. Robbie Kamani is an associate professor of pediatrics at USC Keck School of Medicine, and he's also the associate director of research at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. But what he really is is a difference maker, and I think he's really changing the way we think about lung disease, the way we support patients with lung disease, and most importantly, from my point of view, how we design trials looking at interventions to improve outcomes in patients with lung disease. So, Robbie, it's really a pleasure. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's important to start with some historical definitions of ARDS to understand how we got to where we are now. Um, and I think what's really important to remember about ARDS is that this is a clinical syndrome, right? There is no distinct histopathology that is going to be consistent in all cases of ARDS. So when we're thinking about creating diagnostic criteria, we really are dependent upon the hallmark signs and symptoms of the pathophysiology of the disease. And if we look to those symptoms, uh, you know, we think about hypoxemia, which we think is reflective of the degree of intrapulmonary shunt, uh, decreased respiratory system compliance and loss of end-expiratory lung volume or functional residual capacity, that the process is happening diffusely, although it might not be homogeneous throughout the lung, that there's significant endothelial dysfunction as well as alveolar epithelial dysfunction, as well as interstitial and alveolar edema and of course, increases in alveolar dead space. And these symptoms and signs of the pathophysiology of ARDS have been considered really from the early days of the early definitions of ARDS. If we go back to Oshbach's first description of ARDS in 1967 and look closely at that paper, what we see is acute in nature as described, cyanosis that's refractory to oxygen, decreased respiratory system compliance, and diffuse pulmonary infiltrates. And all of those are components that we still feel are important in the pathophysiology of the disease. Now, Oshbach's initial definition uh, was described in the 1967, but it really wasn't until John Murray's lung injury score in 1988 that we started to think about coming up with some consensus way to diagnose or, uh, this clinical syndrome. And if we look closely at the lung injury score, again, many of those elements of the pathophysiology of the disease are reflected in John Murray's uh, initial description. There was a chest x-ray component that tried to get to the diffuse versus lobar nature of the disease. There was the degree of hypoxemia, which was measured by the PF ratio, um, a PEEP score, which was meant to tie back to uh, end expiratory lung volume or functional residual capacity, and then there was, in fact, a direct measure of respiratory system compliance. I would say if we think about applying this in pediatrics, there are some important modifications that we would need to make to the lung injury score. And in fact, this was originally proposed by, by Kit Newth and Jörg Hammer, who were colleagues actually at the institution where I trained, um, where we have different uh, criteria for the PEEP cutoffs that would be used, and of course, normalizing respiratory system compliance based upon body weight. Um, but ultimately, 
the uh, lung injury score really never caught on in clinical practice, and it was not until the American-European consensus definition uh, in 1994 that we had a more sort of standardized approach to uh, diagnose ARDS for both clinical and research purposes. Um, and the American-European consensus definition also maintained some important ties to the pathophysiology of the disease, um, and we used this definition for nearly 20 years acute onset of disease. Um, the concept of lung injury severity was captured by these two related ideas of acute lung injury of a PF ratio between two and 300, and ARDS as a PF ratio of less than 200. Now, interestingly, the American European consensus removed that tie to end expiratory lung volume. They took PEEP out of the, uh, out of the definition that you know, John Murray had initially proposed. Uh, they simplified the radiographic criteria from quadrants of consolidation to uh, just bilateral infiltrates seen on x-ray, and then wanted to exclude that this was not coming from other causes, such as you know, hydrostatic edema from cardiac failure, so requiring a, a wedge pressure of less than or equal to 18 if a PA catheter was in place. And ultimately, we did use this definition for, for really nearly 20 years, but there were many limitations to this definition, particularly related to that loss of tide and expiratory lung volume, that the PF ratio could be modified really by how you may apply PEEP, that there's a lot of variability, for example, in the interpretation of bilateral infiltrates on chest X-ray, and that, of course, we don't use PA catheters anymore really in our clinical practice. So our clinical practice had evolved um, to that point where that wasn't a, a criteria that we would have readily available on most of our patients. So that, of course, led to the Berlin definition of ARDS. And what I think was really interesting about the Berlin definition is they took a, a slightly different approach to this, where they started first with a consensus-based opinion about it and created a draft definition but then they validated that draft definition with observational data that, or even randomized control data that existed in previously published adult ARDS studies. And if we look at the Berlin definition, the draft definition in particular, they clarified the timing issue, which was a limitation of the American-European consensus definition, that this had to happen within one week of a known clinical insult that the uh, origin of edema was respiratory failure not explained completely by cardiac failure or fluid overload. So they got rid of the requirement for the you know, PA catheter, but if there was no um, clear ARDS risk factor that was present, then you would use an echocardiogram, for example, to rule out that the origin was not all from cardiac reasons. And then they proposed mild, moderate, and severe classifications, which went back to not only using the PF ratio, but also some minimal criteria for PEEP to keep that tied to end expiratory lung volume, chest X-ray uh, findings that involved more than three quadrants of consolidation for those uh, with severe ARDS, and then some element actually of ancillary physiology, like something that would tie back to dead space, for example, with a corrected minute ventilation criteria, or a direct measure like the respiratory system compliance. But something quite interesting happened if you look closely at that uh, validation paper, and that when they took the proposed draft definition of severe, which again was PF ratio less than 100, PEEP of greater than or equal to 10, three or four quadrants of alveolar consolidation, and then either the respiratory system compliance or a dead space term, only 14% of patients actually would meet criteria for severe ARDS. 
So then they thought, okay, let's try a, sim a more simplistic approach to the severe group. Just use a PF ratio less than 100, a PEEP of greater than or equal to 5, and bilateral infiltrates or opacities on chest imaging. And now that really doubled the number of patients that would fall into the severe group at 28%. And interestingly, their mortality was the same at 45%. So that's really why the Berlin definition has switched to mild, moderate, and severe categorization of ARDS. It's really simply based upon the PF ratio of 200 to 300, 100 to 200, and less than or equal to 100, with a minimum requirement of a PEEP of 5. Now, this is a, forms the basis of, of something for us to start with when we think about pediatric ARDS, but unfortunately, there's very limited validation of the Berlin definition uh, in children. So, Robbie, that was just a stunning summary of the Berlin definition. It's eloquent and uh, precise, uh, but help us with this. Let's move from the adult respiratory distress syndrome, yeah. and now let's talk about the entity that we take care of in children. Yeah, and that's, I think that's a very important point that it's really unclear is, is ARDS, the adult respiratory distress syndrome, although it certainly has been renamed acute respiratory distress syndrome, really the same from a pathophysiologic standpoint and a management standpoint as what we take care of in the ICU with pediatric acute respiratory distress syndrome. And in fact, that was really the challenge that the PALIC group came up with, the Pediatric Acute Lung Injury Consensus Conference Group that was convened first uh, in 2012 and met for three years to really tackle a variety of these issues in pediatric ARDS, not only looking at a pediatric ARDS-specific definition, but also looking at other important areas like the pathophysiology or pathobiology, the way we manage ventilator support, uh, pulmonary-specific treatments and non-pulmonary treatments, how we monitor our patients with ARDS, <clears throat> how we manage them on non-invasive ventilation, how we do extracorporeal support, and then ultimately long-term morbidity um, and or long-term outcomes. So this was really a goal of the PALIC Consensus Conference to do a detailed literature search and come up with consensus-based recommendations in each of these areas. Now, I'm going to speak more to the definition. Uh, the definition was the, the group that I was a part of. Um, and I think we have to start with a bit of a reality check about pediatric ARDS compared to adult ARDS. And this is a very interesting um, study that's done by both Gordon Rubenfeld in adults and Jerry Zimmerman in pediatrics, where they looked at King County in Washington State um, and looked at the age-specific incidence rate as well as mortality rates for acute lung injury using the same database, in fact. And what we see is that there is a clear increase in the risk or incidence of ARDS as a function of age. The older, older patients, of course, have the higher risk uh, that happens. And mortality actually follows along that suit. But when we think about pediatrics, we're dealing with a relatively rare disease, ultimately. You know, only Jer uh, Jerry Zimmerman's estimates from that study were only about 13 cases per, uh, per 100,000 children in the population, much lower than what we see in adults. So when we think about creating consensus-based recommendations, we're often dealing with fewer and fewer studies because we have fewer and fewer patients, for example, that uh, in fact have this disease. But our goal when creating the pediatric-specific definition of ARDS was to build on the Berlin definition. It was certainly an iterative improvement over the American-European consensus definition. Um, but there were several areas that we felt were important to concentrate on that may in fact be different than, uh, than adult practice and in the Berlin definition. And I'm going to talk about three of those areas in particular because those were the areas of sort of largest change with what we saw with the PARDS or PALIC definition. And that is 
what are the best criteria that we use to stratify disease? Should we stick with the PF ratio? Should we use something else? How do we deal with the fact that many of our patients don't have arterial blood gases and arterial lines? It's not necessarily routine in every intensive care unit to put an arterial line in a patient that's on a ventilator, for example. And then the radiographic criteria, how important are these? The Berlin definition thought to use common training films as an example of how to decrease the variability in the interpretation of the chest imaging. Is that really going to be adequate in pediatrics? So here is the PALIC definition. And uh, first component is age. Um, and this was an area of, uh, of a lot of discussion within the PALIC group was that we felt we, it was important to uh, eliminate the lower end of the spectrum. Those neonates, for example, that were premature and that had perinatal-related lung disease. Now, that's not to say that a lot of that pathophysiology may not be shared, right? In fact, it might be quite similar to what we see in the pediatric ICU. But a lot of this also has to do with practice patterns um, and the differences in who takes care of those kinds of patients. So that's why there's a lower limit to age of excluding patients that have perinatal-related lung disease. But there's no upper limit. And this was also an area of contention because uh, fundamentally it's hard to define when a child becomes an adult. Um, and we felt that it was important that the practitioner use the ARDS definition that they were most comfortable with. Hence, there's no upper limit to that. The timing was within seven days of an insult, identical to the Berlin definition. Um, respiratory failure not fully explained by cardiac failure or fluid overload, also identical to the Berlin definition. The chest imaging was our first major area of departure and um, that we got rid of the requirement for bilateral opacities, simply saying a new infiltrate or infiltrates consistent with pulmonary parenchymal disease, and we'll come back to this in a little bit. Um, another major difference is the non-invasive ventilation. So the Berlin definition would put patients on non-invasive ventilation into the mild ARDS category. And we felt that we'd had insufficient data to really say that was the case. In fact, maybe the patients on non-invasive ventilation may have more moderate or severe disease. It's just a function of how they're being managed. Um, the other major change was within those with invasive mechanical ventilation, the switch to the oxygenation index rather than the PF ratio as well as the use of pulse oximetry-based criteria here, that is the SpO2 to FiO2 ratio for those that are on non-invasive ventilation, and the oxygen saturation index for those that are on invasive mechanical ventilation. And then we also um, address some special populations of patients, those with cyanotic heart disease, those with chronic lung disease, and those with left ventricular dysfunction, because many, many times those patients are excluded from clinical studies in ARDS, but in fact, they clearly could have ARDS. So I'm going to talk a little bit more uh, specifically here about uh, uh, criteria for risk stratification. And um, one of the major changes, of course, was the use of oxygenation index instead of the PF ratio, although we kept the PF ratio for those that are on non-invasive ventilation because the mean airway pressure term that we would use in the oxygenation index has different meaning for those that are on non-invasive ventilation. Now, the reasons for change for the change um, were that we really did want to get back to that tie to end expiratory lung volume um, that we've described as important, uh, you know, in the clinical symptoms of ARDS. And the way the Berlin definition dealt with that was by using PEEP. But one of the challenges in pediatric uh, ARDS is that we all have variable practices with how we may apply PEEP. And it may not be that we all escalate PEEP in the same fashion that we could just use minimum PEEP. I think the other piece that's important is we have a lot more use of alternative therapies such as high-frequency oscillatory ventilation, and it would be important to uh, be able to include those patients in definitions of ARDS. 
And this is just you know, a slide that illustrates the highlight of why we need to control for the degree of ventilator support. If we have a patient with ARDS who is freshly intubated, let's say they're on a PEEP of 5 and an FiO2 of 0.6, um, and uh, bilateral opacities on their chest imaging, and their initial PF ratio is 100. Now somebody may come in and try to recruit the lung or turn up the ventilator support some, and in, in a few minutes or even 30 minutes or an hour later, all of a sudden, the PF ratio has gone up to 240, for example. Uh, has the patient's lung disease severity changed in that 30 minutes? No, not really. What we've done is modified that by trying to do a recruitment type step. Um, and so the oxygenation index really reflects that um, because it takes into account that mean airway pressure that's, that's being applied or the cost uh, of achieving that particular PF ratio. Um, but what about doing it with minimal PEEP? Um, and, and here, the real problem is if we look at existing studies uh, in pediatric ARDS and we look at the median PEEP levels, for example, that are used, they lie somewhere between 5 and 8 centimeters of water in most of these studies. And in fact, the PALIVE study, um, which was published in 2010, uh, for example, about half of those patients, 50% of those patients, actually had a PEEP level of less than or equal to 5. And these are pediatric ARDS patients. Now, in contrast, if we think about that validation of the Berlin definition, many of those used existing studies from the ARDS network, for example, where even before enrollment in the trials, many of those adult patients were on PEEP levels greater than or equal to 10. So there's a big difference in terms of our practice and how we use PEEP, um, which is one reason why we felt that PEEP was an inadequate term to use for the criteria for risk stratification. The other important fact about that is not only do we use less PEEP, but we are much more variable in how we apply the PEEP. That you go from different institutions and different patients, and PEEP and FiO2 are not necessarily escalated con congruently in the same way. And you know, these are, are, are three studies, for example, that have clearly shown that uh, when looking at PEEP-FiO2 combinations that are chosen in actual practice and compare them to, let's say, for example, what is done by the ARDS network PEEP-FiO2 table, not only do we use less PEEP than those uh, that, that which would be recommended, excuse me, by the PEEP FAO2 table, but there's also a lot more variability in how that PEEP is applied. So hence the decision to switch to oxygenation index as the real metric to use for risk stratification. But I didn't really know what the right cutoffs would be for oxygenation index. Um, and so here we went to data uh, to try to understand that. And we started first with the derivation set, which came from uh, some data at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And what we saw was there seemed to be these natural breakpoints at an OI of 4, an OI of 8, and an OI of 16, where there were stepwise increases in mortality risk and roughly an equal number of patients that would fall into each of those groups. So we subsequently tested that with a validation set um, that was from six existing uh, pediatric ARDS data sets uh, and previous publications. And while each data set was slightly different, in total, the pattern held, that about a third of the patients fell into each of these mild, moderate, and severe groups, and the mortality stepwise increased from 12 to 22 to roughly 30% in that severe group. So the other other area that was uh, a major change was looking at pulse oximetry-based criteria. And I think this is, this is an area where our clinical practice um, and research were a bit incongruent. Pulse oximetry has become 
routine in all of our patients that are uh, in the intensive care unit. Um, and so when we're thinking about creating a definition, it's important to be able to apply it to as many patients as possible. Um, and so hence we embraced the pulse oximetry-based criteria because there would be many patients that otherwise would not be eligible with the requirement for an arterial blood gas. So here we um, use the oxygen saturation index, which is equivalent to the oxygenation index, substituting the SpO2 for the PaO2 in that definition as well as the SF ratio, or the SpO2 to FiO2 ratio, which again substitutes SpO2 for PaO2 in the PF ratio uh, equation. Now, one of the things that's very important to remember is that when you're applying these pulse oximetry-based criteria, we really do have to turn down the FiO2 such that the saturation is less than or equal to 97% because that's where we have that linear portion on the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve. When the SpO2 is above 97%, the PaO2 could be quite high for an SpO2 of 98%, for example. And what many have found um, is that, in fact, there is a strong linear relationship between the oxygenation index and the oxygen saturation index and even the SF ratio and the PF ratio, that this is predictable and could be described. And it could have potentially very large implications. Um, this is a single center study, for example, that was done out of Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And what we found is that we potentially would double the number of patients that would be diagnosed with ARDS by using pulse oximetry-based criteria as compared to PaO2-based criteria. Now, this will likely vary from institution to institution because there are institutional practices about who decides to get who gets an arterial line, for example, and who doesn't get an arterial line. And there is an interesting phenomenon uh, of what the factors are that may lead to placement of that arterial line. And if we think about uh, you know, what, what makes that decision for you, perhaps it's related to the degree of hypoxemia, but for a lot of us, it's related to the degree of hemodynamic support that the patient is needing. And in fact, that's what we found in this, uh, uh, you know, in this study that we published out of, out of Children's Hospital Los Angeles is that one of the biggest factors that leads to you know, the decision to place an arterial line and hence obtain an arterial blood gas is the amount of vasoactive support that the patient is on. So if we rely upon um, the uh, presence of an arterial blood gas to make, the def to make a diagnosis of ARDS, we're selecting for a sicker patient population, a patient population that may be hypoxemic but also has a lot of hemodynamic support and may not really reflect all of the patients that have ARDS. Now, the last area is, is really looking at radiographic criteria um, within the definition of ARDS. And uh, here was another major departure of eliminating that requirement for bilateral infiltrates um, and simply saying that patients need to have pulmonary parenchymal disease. And the rationale for this was really fourfold. Um, like the adult data, um, pediatric data clearly confirmed that there is poor inner observer reliability in the definition of bilateral infiltrates, that we may disagree frequently on whether patients have bilateral infiltrates or not, even looking at the same x-ray. The other important point here is that the chest x-ray may not be sensitive enough to detect the disease that we're looking for. Um, in fact, there's oftentimes poor correlation with CAT scans, for example, or CT scans, um, and oftentimes the findings on frontal x-ray lag behind the degree of hypoxemia that we, we may see in a patient, for example. It may also be that what appears to be a radiographically normal lung, in fact, has significant lung inflammation if we look at metabolic, metabolic imaging studies, for example, of the lung. And, and finally, um, 
It's really unclear whether the presence of bilateral infiltrates is adding anything prognostically over the degree of hypoxemia. We saw this with the Berlin definition, for example, when they were considering that severe group um, and ultimately got rid of the additional PEEP requirement and dead space requirements because it didn't add prognostically. Is that the case in pediatric ARDS with the, with the bilateral infiltrates? And so here we looked at some uh, existing studies that have been published, and unfortunately, because the American-European consensus definition and even the Berlin definition had the requirement for bilateral infiltrates, nearly all ARDS publications in both pediatrics and in adults were restricted to patients with bilateral infiltrates. So finding data sets that had patients with both bilateral or potentially radiographically unilateral disease was challenging. Um, and the ones that, that are published uh, have sort of conflicting results. Um, so here we looked to, uh, again, an existing cohort um, from Children's Hospital Los Angeles, and what we found is that when you stratify by the degree of hypoxemia, that bilateral infiltrates don't really retain an independent association with mortality. Certainly those with bilateral infiltrates have higher mortality, but they also are more hypoxemic. So once you stratify by that and control for the degree of hypoxemia, it may only matter for those with relatively mild disease. At least this is what we, uh, what we saw in the preliminary data that was there. So that's what really uh, formed the basis for uh, the pediatric definition. So Robbie, bravo to you and colleagues for moving beyond PEEP to the oxygenation index. Yeah. Bravo, moving to the OSI and the SF. That's, that's a great advance. But with respect to you and your friends, and actually most of the group are my friends also, yeah. <laughs> you guys just made this up. Yeah. So yeah. is this better than Berlin? Yeah. So and is it gonna help us uh, enroll a more homogeneous group of patients in clinical trials? So that's a great, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, we tried to take the approach of using existing data to validate the definition whenever we can. But as you saw, in a lot of places, that data was very, very limited. Um, and, and in fact, that was one of the goals of the PALA consensus conference was to try to create a consensus-based definition and throw something out there, right, as, as lack of evidence-based as it may be, because we lack a lot of evidence in pediatric ARDS, but that forms a starting point for future types of studies to try to validate these various different components of the definition, for example, but even think about generating new evidence in other areas of treatment. And in fact, we, we took that upon ourselves with the, the PARTY study, um, the Pediatric Acute Respiratory Distress Incidence and Epidemiology Study. The goal of the PARTY study was really to, in an international initiative, try to understand what the implications were for the PALIC definition and try to validate and or test various of these controversial components of the definition, for example. And so it was designed really as a cross-sectional study um, to test several aspects of the new definition. There was a main study which was called V0 and then several ancillary studies that took a deeper dive into some other areas. Um, it was designed as five continuous days of screening, so patients were screened Monday through Friday, over 10 distinct study weeks across a year. So there were a total of 50 study days. And what was slightly different about this study than other point prevalence types of studies is that we wanted to get patients right when they were diagnosed with ARDS, within that first 24 hours. Because that's how it's important to test the applicability of the definition is really early in the disease. And we gathered data within the first three days of ARDS diagnosis and then followed these patients for their outcomes, looking at mortality and length of mechanical ventilation. 
So the main research questions for the party study were to first look at the epidemiology. So what would change about the number and the frequency of new cases of ARDS with our new definition? The second was to look at that mild, moderate, and severe classification and see really how does this perform in discriminating ICU or hospital mortality in a current data set. And the last was to look at the timing issue, which is really often ignored in many ARDS definitions. You know, should you diagnose this right at the time of ARDS diagnosis, or do you need a delayed measure of hypoxemia to really confirm, for example, that this patient really does have uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome? And the implications on the epidemiology could be very large for the new definition, right? We've used pulse oximetry-based criteria. We've simplified the chest imaging criteria. We've allowed for the uh, uh, application of the definition in many patient populations who had previously been excluded from, uh, from ARDS studies. Um, so there's the potential that we could, you know, up to double or even triple the number of patients that may be diagnosed with ARDS with this definition. The other goal was really to look at that mild, moderate, and severe classification. While we had some data to base these recommendations of, you know, 4, 8, and 16 for the oxygenation index, ultimately this data is quite old, and it might not be congruent with what contemporary practice really is. And none of the pre-existing studies that we used for this validation used the pulse oximetry-based criteria, which may have a big implication about those mortality risks. And then the timing issue, I think, is really important and often ignored. Um, there, is, there are several studies in both adult and in pediatric uh, ARDS management that perhaps you get better discrimination in mortality if you use a delayed hypoxemia metric 24 hours later, as an example, or new, uh, a new study showing maybe 12 hours later um, that you get better discrimination of mortality with uh, the different cut points. Um, so should we require in an ARDS definition that somebody has the persistence of the disease and not simply, uh, you know, the presence of ARDS at the, uh, at the initial diagnosis based on that initial hypoxemia metric? So uh, the PARTY study was really designed as the main study, which was meant to answer those three questions, but then uh, some additional ancillary and complementary studies. We also sought to understand what independent risk factors for mortality would be in pediatric ARDS, and that was the V1 study. The V2 study focused on ventilator management and monitoring, and what are our usual practices for ventilator management and monitoring. The V3 study took a deeper dive into the chest imaging question to get blinded um, simultaneous interpretation by pediatric intensivists and pediatric radiologists on the chest imaging. Uh, and then we also had a few complementary studies like the V4 study, which was looking at the at risk for ARDS population. That's not something I've talked about here, um, but that was an important part of the PALIC definition that we identify a group of patients that we felt were at risk to develop ARDS because ultimately the, uh, the way to improve outcomes for ARDS may be to prevent it if we can. And then there was a simultaneous uh, process improvement campaign with this study called 97 is the new 100 really trying to get people to turn down the FiO2. I don't know if this is a common problem for you guys, but it's a big problem in our intensive care unit that patients have saturations of 100% on 60, 70, 80% FiO2. And so what's important to apply those pulse oximetry-based criteria are that we actually turn down the FiO2 to get the saturations less than or equal to 97%. So in total, there were uh, uh, 10 study weeks uh, and about 130 sites per study week uh, that were included uh, uh, in each of the weeks. 
Um, and in the end, we had 145 uh, pediatric ICUs that met uh, inclusion criteria and enrolled patients in the studies, uh, in, in all of the studies, and in particular in the V0 study. Uh, we got pretty good regional distribution of this. There were about 45 uh, from North America, approximately 40 from South and Central America, 50 from Europe and the Middle East. We unfortunately didn't get as much um, uh, recruitment from Asia, but nine sites from Asia and three from Australia and New Zealand. Um, and the distribution of countries uh, differed as a function of the uh, um, income status or income classification of those countries. So we had mostly high-income countries and then several middle-high-income countries. So I think one of the important points to think about in, in this study um, is that we did not have good representation of low-income countries or even middle-low-income countries. So it's really unclear you know, how things would perform in, for example, Africa, because we really didn't have good representation of that in the, in the uh, validation here. So there are several areas that we really wanted to tackle with this study, and uh, in particular, really look at what the new definition would yield in terms of incidence and outcome of ARDS, to look specifically at the PALIC definition and compare it to the Berlin definition, uh, for example, and in particular, the components that are different, the pulse oximetry components, the bilateral infiltrates components, and then the use of the oxygenation index instead of the PF ratio. Uh, we, of course, wanted to look at the timing issue with hypoxemia severity. We wanted to understand whether the non-invasive ventilation PARDS group, uh, what happens to those patients and whether they really are mild, as would be proposed with the Berlin definition, or whether they fit somewhere else in that spectrum. Um, and then really understand whether the elements of the definition were important in terms of risk stratification for these patients. So in total, 145 sites participated and about 23,000 patients were screened in these individual intensive care units, about half of whom were on study-defined mechanical ventilation, which was either invasive mechanical ventilation or non-invasive ventilation with an oral nasal mask to get a reliable estimate of the FiO2. And we ended up with 744 new cases of ARDS, which represents about 3% of all ICU patients or 6% of those that are on mechanical ventilation. Now, these uh, incidence rates of ARDS certainly do differ as a function of season, which I think we would all expect. It's higher in the winter months, um, as well as by region. It seemed to be lower in its incidence in Europe, for example, than North or, or Central America. Of those 744 patients that we identified as having ARDS, uh, 708 of them had complete data for us to look at verifying the diagnosis and look at their outcomes. And interestingly, about a quarter fell into each of the groupings of NIV, mild, moderate, and severe ARDS. But surprisingly, there was a very little difference in terms of mortality between those with NIV, mild, and moderate ARDS, all between 10 and 15 percent. But there was a large step up in the mortality risk when you got to those that had severe ARDS at ARDS onset with up to about 33% mortality in that group. Now, when comparing the PALIC definition to the Berlin definition, um, and if we look at ARDS onset, which is given here by the, the figure on the top, figure A here, uh, what we see is that only 230 of these 78 patients, or you know, only about 30% of these patients, actually meet the Berlin criteria at the time that they meet PALIC PARDS definition. So this means they have bilateral infiltrates on their chest imaging or bilateral opacities 
and they have a PF ratio less than or equal to 300. If we allow for the use of pulse oximetry-based criteria, now the numbers increase to 507 patients, or about 75% of the patients would meet hypoxemia criteria if the SpO2 to FiO2 ratio could be substituted for the PF ratio. And about a quarter of the patients met the hypoxemia-based criteria with either the PF ratio or the SF ratio, but they did not have bilateral infiltrates on their chest imaging. And interestingly, if you look at their outcomes, so you look at those mortality risks that are there that are given by the diamonds on that figure, the highest mortality risk falls into that group that has bilateral infiltrates and a PF, and a PF ratio, with subsequent slight steps down for those that uh, meet it with SF ratio criteria and those that don't have uh, a bilateral infiltrates on the chest imaging. But what's interesting is that if you um, go for the first three days of ARDS diagnosis, now there's a much more significant overlap with the Berlin definition. In fact, almost 60% of patients within the first three days of their palic pards diagnosis meet all Berlin criteria. They have a arterial blood gas with a PF ratio less than 300, and they have bilateral infiltrates on chest, on chest imaging. Um, and this number goes up to, you know, over eight, up to 87% when you allow for the SpO2 to FiO2 ratio to be substituted. So it's only about 13% of patients um, that don't have bilateral infiltrates within the first three days of the ARDS diagnosis in this cohort. And interestingly, the mortality rates are similar between those with uh, SpO2-based criteria with bilateral infiltrates and those with either SpO2 or PaO2-based criteria with unilateral infiltrates. When looking at uh, overall outcomes, there was certainly this large step up in mortality for the severe ARDS group um, when looking at their initial uh, OI or OSI with 32% mortality in that group. But there appears to be slightly more calibration when looking at some of the secondary outcomes that we may use in clinical trials, for example, like ventilator-free days, although there was a large step down or a lot fewer ventilator-free days, for example, in those with severe ARDS. They had on average 13 ventilator-free days compared to about 20 in the moderate ARDS population. But looking at survivors and length of mechanical ventilation, um, we see that there are clear step-ups, a length of ventilation of a median of six days to seven days to eight days from mild to moderate to severe ARDS. So it may be that even if the mortality is not well calibrated uh, between mild and moderate at initial PARDS diagnosis, length of mechanical ventilation may be, which is important for us to think about as we think about clinical trials. Now, the other question is, um, did we get those cutoffs right about, you know, 4, 8, and 16? So here we tried to look at the data and uh, group them into uh, buckets based on oxygenation index. And if we look at this, this table here um, and we see uh, either oxygenation index or the equivalent oxygen saturation index. So we took the oxygen saturation index took the regression equation to derive what the equivalent oxygenation index would be, and that's what's, uh, what's graphed here. And the diamonds there represent the overall mortality, and the boxes represent the total number of cases with the respective 95% confidence intervals around the diamonds. And what we see is that there is a big step up in mortality risk around an oxygenation index of 15 or so, which corresponds with the severe ARDS group, which was picked at 16 or so. Um, and that's based on the initial oxygenation index. Now, the other question is, could we have accomplished the same by simply using the Berlin proposed PF ratio criteria and use the SpO2 to FiO2 
modification of that. And so that's what we looked at uh, a little bit more closely. So we categorized patients into mild, moderate, and severe, those are, that were on invasive ventilation only using the OI-OSI criteria, which was the PALET criteria, or the PF slash SF criteria, which were uh, applied from the Berlin definition with the equivalent SF ratio of whatever a PF ratio of 100, 200, and 300 would be. And what we see here um, is if we look at the figure A here, this is at uh, pediatric ARDS diagnosis, there are more patients that fall into the moderate and severe groups using the Berlin criteria with uh, more patients in the mild pediatric ARDS um, group for those based on the PALIC groupings of OI, OSI. And that pattern stays similar from when you go to 6 and 12 and 24 hours, although you start to get uh, more congruence between the two over time, that that pattern starts to stabilize. But that's certainly the severe ARDS group, no matter when you're looking at it, appears to be significantly different than those other mild and moderate groups that you see. And if we look ultimately at the discrimination ability of the OI, OSI categories compared to the PF, SF categories at the various different time points. So this is trying to understand that question of when should we apply this uh, hypoxemia-based criteria. What we see first is that the PALIC criteria really at all time points um, within the first 24 hours or so of ARDS diagnosis except right at the beginning, um, is statistically significantly better in terms of its ability to discriminate ICU mortality compared to the equivalent PF-SF ratio groupings of mild, moderate, and severe. And the second point that's important is that by six hours, uh, we have the highest discrimination ability of ICU mortality, and that, that changes very little from the first six to 24 hours. So it means that perhaps we can look at a six-hour delayed value, for example, to confirm the diagnosis of ARDS and apply optimal risk stratification metrics at that point. Now, the other group that's, uh, I think, really important to look more closely at is those on non-invasive ventilation. Um, increasingly, we are using non-invasive ventilation, and there's always this question about how should we manage these patients with significant hypoxemia that are on non-invasive ventilation, or this NIV PARDS group. And what we saw is that half of the patients that are diagnosed with NIV PARDS eventually get intubated, and almost all of those intubations happen within the first 48 hours of, of PARDS. Those that get intubated have pretty high mortality. Their mortality rate is 25%, so falls somewhere between that moderate and severe group of those that are intubated, with overall mortality of about 15% for those that are both intubated and not intubated. And one of the biggest risk factors, which I think is not surprising, um, for the risk of intubation is the degree of hypoxemia. That patients that have severe hypoxemia on non-invasive ventilation, and this was a PF ratio less than 100 or an SF ratio less than or equal to 150, those patients have the highest risk of intubation with over almost 60% of them being intubated within the first three days of, uh, of ARDS diagnosis. The next area that was important to really look at was the bilateral opacities or infiltrates question. Um, and what we found is that about three quarters of the children at PARDS diagnosis actually had bilateral infiltrates as gauged by the principal investigator, the intensivist, the pediatric intensivist at the site. And 87% had it within three days of the diagnosis. So there are many children that do develop it over the first three days if they don't have it on their initial film. But 
as uh, has been shown before in a variety of publications, when we looked at the simultaneous interpretation of films, we had about 760 films that were simul simultaneously interpreted by a pediatric intensivist and a pediatric radiologist. The uh, kappa was only 0.34, so there is very poor agreement on even the, the diagnosis of bilateral infiltrates on a plain frontal chest X-ray. And as we built a multivariable model, we found that, in fact, bilateral infiltrates did not remain statistically significantly associated with mortality after controlling for other important factors. Interestingly, factors that were important in terms of mortality risk for these patients with ARDS included having severe ARDS at the onset of the disease, being from a middle or medium income country, um, and then some protective factors like having pneumonia, for example. Not surprisingly, patients that were immunosuppressed had a roughly six-fold higher risk of mortality, as well as patients that had PARDS risk factors that were not pneumonia, like risk factors of drowning or risk factors of other non-septic shock, uh, as an example, had a much higher risk of mortality. So I, I think really um, some of the take-home points, the lessons that uh, we've learned after looking at the, at the PARDI study are that about 3% of our ICU patients have ARDS. Mortality is greater than 30% for those that have severe hypoxemia, really regardless of when you define that, whether at PARDS onset or at some delayed point. That the PARDS definition with PALIC um, does identify a lot more patients than the Berlin definition does, up to 40% more if you go out for the first three days of ARDS diagnosis. Um, so there's a delay oftentimes in that diagnosis when using the Berlin criteria, particularly with the requirement for a PF ratio, although sometimes even the, the chest X-ray findings are what lead to that delay. That the PALIC severity groups based on oxygenation index and oxygen saturation index appear to stratify mortality risk, especially for that severe group, but they do seem to have reasonable calibration for things like ventilator-free days and even length of mechanical ventilation in the survivors. That a delayed hypoxemia metric, roughly at, let's say, six hours after PARDS diagnosis, uh, may be a good marker of risk, and maybe we need to consider that as we move forward with PARDS definitions or even clinical trials. And that, uh, not surprisingly, there are many factors outside of the PARDS diagnosis, like the immunosuppressed nature of the patient, for example, that clearly are associated with mortality, even after controlling for the degree of hypoxemia. And these are important to think about in uh, not only clinical care, but in, in future studies in ARDS. Robbie, that's great. Uh, I sure feel a lot smarter now than I did an hour ago. Uh, you've got me on the infiltrates. Yeah. So let's just forget about it. Yeah. I'm a little worried about your thresholds, though. One of your slides showed that the ICU mortality for patients with mild PARDS yep. was actually higher than for patients with moderate PARDS. Yeah. So I'm wondering if maybe the thresholds aren't quite right. What, what's your thought about yeah, that? Yeah, I think that's a really good question moving forward. And I, I think there are two points that, that sort of speak to that. So one issue is that if we think about cause of death in ARDS, right, um, there are a variety of observational studies that have shown that a lot of these patients, for example, have neurologic disease, and that's ultimately what leads to their mortality. That refractory hypoxemia and multisystem organ failure, while important, it's a, it's less common, the refractory hypoxemia, for example. Multisystem organ failure may be quite common as a cause of death in these patients. How much does the hypoxemia lead to the multisystem organ failure? And perhaps that's why we're not seeing this big difference between the mild and moderate, that if the patient only has mild and moderate hypoxemia, 
It's not in the ultimate causal pathway for mortality, and it's only when you get to the severe hypoxemia that you start to see that. Now, it may also be, of course, that the severity of the hypoxemia is also reflective of the overall severity of inflammation that the patient has, right? Many of these patients have you know, not just lung disease, they have cardiopulmonary disease and shock as an example. So I think that's, that's one of the important issues for us to try to decouple um, it, and probably explains, at least in some part, why there's that little discrimination between mild and moderate, but that it's still reasonably high, right? Yeah. That it's still 10 to 15% mortality, very different than observed ICU mortality amongst ventilated patients. Um, but it's not until you get to that severe hypoxemia group that you start to really see mortality that may be really attributable to ARDS. And I think this is an important thing we need to consider moving forward as we think about future ARDS investigations and epidemiology. Great talk. Thanks. And I love your slide. 90 is the new 100. I like that's catchy. And I'll tell you something else. 60 is the new 40. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Great. That's Thanks. right. Thank you. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.